friends, the doctor is in the house. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. It is cold outside in Chicagoland, but I hope where you guys are at right now, you're staying nice and warm. And I'm so excited to continue my women's health series today. Today's panel is hashtag fierce. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> I've hand-selected them, but they're amazing individuals. Today, we're going to be talking about ideal cardiovascular health in women, women in heart disease. We have to talk about this. It is so important. It's not talked about enough, so we're going to talk about it today. And then hopefully at the end of today, you're going to talk about it tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Just keep pressing repeat. But it's an important theme for us because it touches us so much. Heart disease, of course, the number one killer in the United States of America. And so it touches men and women. And as we're talking today about women's health, it is important. It's, I mean, it's imperative that we have these conversations. Today's show is all about creating that awareness, but not only that awareness, having that dialogue, and hopefully having some practical solutions to the challenges that lie ahead. But remember, it takes a village. We're all in this together. Let's get healthy together, everybody. So I'm so excited to welcome you back to another episode of Tear Health with Dr. G. You know me on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. My handle is at To Your Health. DRG. You're listening to us here live at Intellectual Radio Studios. I'm so excited because today's show is going to be great. And again, we're continuing this women's health series that I started a few weeks ago because I really want to make sure that we all have the same resources to stay as healthy as we can. When you have good health, you're more than likely to have a good life. And really, your health journey is part of your life journey. We're just trying to tell that story. And so this is why I'm so excited about today's topic. It hits home. And my panelists, you guys will meet in a few moments, Dr. Davis and Dr. Settler are just amazing individuals that can talk with the passion about heart disease in women. But before we hit that up, i got to hit you with a quick disclaimer. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. So again, everybody, welcome back to the show, how the show works. Each week I invite a group of my medical experts, my just, just amazing individuals, and we talk about a topic. For those of you that, are, that, that have seen us in the past or watch us live on Facebook, again, we welcome you back. Keep spreading the word. It's after discussions that we're going to have today. But it's really you guys out there listening to us and spreading the message. Go see your doctor. Create that engagement. Grab Today's show, grab your mom, grab your sister, grab your girlfriend. Go to the doctor together. Let's talk about the heart. That's super important. So I'm so excited to, to continue this show with you guys this week. And so I want to introduce my guest because we're going to get right into it. Because this is so important. So without further ado, my first guest, and I'm picking on her because she's to my right, I have known her for such a long time. Oh, my goodness. A dear friend of mine. She sees a ton of my patients. Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to keep you busy. Well, um, you're a wonderful doctor. Oh, thank you. Uh, you're too kind. But I had to have her back on the show. She's been on the show before, so I had to come, have her come back on when I created this idea of doing a women's health series, especially ideal cardiovascular health. So I want to welcome back to the show my good friend, my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Ann Davis. Let me read her credentials real quick because she's got some credentials. And Dr. Ann Davis is a cardiologist with Advocate Medical Group, Advocate Heart Institute, 
Check her out, www.advocatehealth.com. And she's also in my office building on Tuesdays. So, Dr. Ann Davis, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. Hey, I'm so excited to have you back. And again, when, when I was coming up with this topic, I go, oh my gosh, I have to have Dr. Davis back because you, you, you speak with the passion. And this, and, this, and this topic is so important to you. It sits home with you because... You're in the trenches. You're seeing heart disease on a daily basis. Why don't you give us a little bit about your background? Where did you go to medical school? Where did you do your residency? Where did you do your fellowship? Oh, sure. Uh, and basically, what is this theme today? How does it really resonate with you? Sure. Um, I'm from Chicago, north side. Uh, I went to college at Loyola uh, and uh, actually medical school and residency. So then I decided to do something different. And I went to University of Illinois at Chicago for my cardiology fellowship. And that's where I met my husband, Steve, who's a pediatrician, who has been on your He's show. Been on the show. I'm trying to balance it now because, and this is Anne's second time on the show, and, and, and Dr. Kovar, her husband, has been on the show two times, so I'm trying to balance it out. <laughs> so uh, I'm a cardiologist, and we absolutely love our patients. We want them to have the best life that they can. We don't want to save you just to live, but you have to live a life. You know what I mean? Uh, it's not just you being alive and sitting in a chair. We want you healthy, happy, uh, engaged with your family or whatever it is that gives you passion in, in life. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming back. And I can't wait to get a little more granular with you, a little bit of the details. Um, but I just, I'm just, I'm just, thank you. Thank you. Very thankful for you coming on to the show. My next guest, oh my gosh, she's a dear friend of mine too. Uh, she, uh, she's been around the block as far as like her technical skills amazing. We bounce ideas off each other all the time in the office. She's my partner in my practice uh, out with Elmer Medical Group. Uh, she is just a phenomenal individual, a dear friend, and an esteemed colleague. So I have to welcome to the show for the first time, for maybe the first of many times, <laughs> but the first time, Dr. Laura Settler, uh, board certified internist with Edward Medical Group. Check her out at www.eehealth.org. Dr. Settler, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And, uh, thank you for accepting my invitation. And I did have to, like, I was like, we're in the office. I go, oh, my gosh, Dr. Settler, I got this idea for a women's health cardiovascular show. Are you interested? And, of course, you were like, yeah, yes. That's an important topic. Oh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Where did you go to medical school and where did you do your residency? Sure. And kind of like what do you think about this? Maybe a few initial thoughts about this theme of today's ideal cardiovascular health. Sure. So I went to medical school at Rush, uh, Rush Medical College in Chicago. Uh, then I went out east to Philadelphia at Thomas Jefferson University for my residency training. So, um, you know, I think it's such an important topic. We see it every day. You know, certainly as a cardiologist, you see it as well. But um, being a primary care physician, um, you know, it's something that affects um, all my patients, whether it's their family history, their friends, something happened to their grandmother. Um, so definitely something important to talk about. Excellent. Well, I tell you what, I'm so excited to have you both on the show. So how's the show work? You just met the guests. They're awesome, of course. Uh, really what we're going to do, we're going to talk about this kind of clinical question. So when somebody comes in to see us in the office, we call that the chief complaint. And so really the chief complaint that we're talking about today, the reason why somebody comes into the office, but the reason why we're here today is really to discuss this issue of women and heart disease. And so the question of the hour to really kind of paint the picture of what we're doing is, what does ideal cardiovascular health look like in women today? And so we're going to talk about this. And so we're going to cover some things, things about screening, prevention. Uh, we're not going to get so deep into to treatment because that's really at the medical level, and certainly that's when, when we want you out there that are listening to us to talk to your physician 
have an office visit, talk to your cardiologist if you, if you have a cardiologist or if you need to have a cardi cardiologist. But we're going to talk a little bit about just how do we kind of approach this major issue. And so before I ask some of the questions, I'm going to hit you guys with a couple quick facts. So as I mentioned earlier at the beginning, heart disease is the leading cause of death for women in the United States. And the statistics are amazing. A woman suffers a heart attack every 90 seconds in the United States. And you think about that, and it's like, it's mind-boggling, I and mean, this is why we have to talk about this, this conversation. And, and so we really want to make, again, make sure that awareness is there. Uh, really, uh, some of the other stats that are out there that are just important, the prevalence of risk factors is only going up. We see certainly in, in different ethnic groups, we can see a rise of hypertension and other kind of risk factors that lead to heart disease. And many women that wind up having heart disease or certainly that have coronary artery disease, most of them, nearly two-thirds of them, don't, did not have any symptoms or had minimal symptoms that they maybe didn't recognize prior to them having their event. So we've got to talk about this. So I'm so excited. So I want to pick brains right now because we're really, really what I want you guys to do as you're listening to us, you know, hey, it's okay to jot down some notes, uh, but I want you guys to take what we're talking about today and ask those questions to your healthcare practitioner, to your physician, to your internist, to your family practitioner, or your cardiologist. Uh, men, if you're listening to the show, if there's any guys out there listening, take a pen and paper as well, because we're going to be talking about the important women in your life as well, too. And again, I really want this to be kind of a rally call to get people to come in. Uh, as we all say in health, there's no such thing as crying wolf. I'd rather have somebody come in and see me, and I can reassure them that nothing's going on, versus, oh my gosh, missing something that could have been prevented. So I want to ask Dr. Davis the first question. How do we kind of just kind of approach, you know, we're talking today, and this is a great forum for having this discussion about, about women and heart disease, but just maybe give us a few thoughts on how, do we, how can we get this conversation started in our communities? Well, a lot of times women don't take care of themselves because they're so busy taking care of their husband, their children, their work, pretty much everything instead of having time for them. So they have to, just like the men do, look at their risk factors for heart disease. Does it run in the family? Do they know their numbers? Do you know what your cholesterol is? What your sugar is? What your blood pressure is? You know, how much do you weigh? You know, these things like that. And some more earthy, crunchy kind of stresses also kind of play a role. There are some people that are perfectly healthy and they're not smokers and they do everything right, but yet still things happen and sometimes you could have stress-induced uh, heart failure even. So there's a lot of things going on, but just coming to the doctor and saying, what do you think is not a bad thing Absolutely. You know, Dr. Settler, you and I, you know, being on the front lines as, as interns, as primary care physicians, you know, we want people to come in and see us. You know, how do we kind of create that urgency? You know, as Dr. Davis just eloquently stated, sometimes people are just doing so many things and the health is put on the back burner. How can we just kind of start getting people to come back into the doc? Yeah, you know, it's a tough question. Um, but, uh, you know, I had a patient recently that comes to mind who felt well and she exercised regularly, um, you know, was very busy, um, active at work, at church, with her family. Um, you know, I just hadn't gotten around to seeing a doctor in about 12 years. Um, and at that point had a major heart attack and, and some other things were, were found, such as her blood pressure was very high and presumably had been high for some time. Um, you know, led to her having a heart attack. She was diagnosed with new diabetes. So this is kind of an extreme example, but when a patient, a real person I saw recently, um, and so that just shows, you know, coming in for annual physical, 
um, and getting those numbers looked at, like Dr. Davis mentioned, is so important. Well, that is, I want to piggyback on what you just said. You know, going on with your annual physical, this is something that we talk about a lot, and I've talked about it a lot on this show, is, is just once a year, invest in yourself. Invest in your own health. Again, you can do so much more in your life when you have decent, healthy, good, healthy, just reassurance. But you got to take that first step to invest in your health. Remember, self-care is not selfish. You know, and I want to say that again, self-care is not necessarily selfish. You've got to be able to take care of yourself before you can continue to take care of others. And there's so many people out there that Dr. Davis has mentioned that are just doing a million things. Don't let your health come second. Make it a priority. And I think as we keep getting this message out and getting out of the community, not only you know, via right now, via Facebook Live and things that we're talking about, we want to get that urgency. So that's wonderful. So we want to just move the needle, point A to point B, because chronic disease burden is only getting worse. So I want to ask this question for uh, Dr. Davis. Maybe she can give us a little bit more. She said a couple of the, the risk factors. But Dr. Davis, can you give us a few more kind of the classic risk factors? Because maybe there's somebody out there that's listening to that and going, well, I don't know what my, what my risk is for heart disease. What are some kind of classic things? Well, a lot of times uh, heart disease runs in families. Maybe your mother, father, or siblings may have had a stent or bypass surgery or stroke or things like that. You want to make sure you go to the doctor and let them know that. Uh, high blood pressure, your cholesterol, if you're a smoker. Some things you can control, some things you can't. Um, but I, I think just going to the doctor is the first step. I know most people would rather step on glass than go to the doctor. <laughs> but, Ouch. But, you know, um, knowledge is power, and we're all about prevention. We don't want to give you stents. We don't want to give you bypass surgery. We want to have prevention so that you never have anything but a nice, long, happy, active life. So if you can nip things in the bud, if you can see, oh, the blood pressure's starting to go up to 140, 150, when normally it was fine a year ago, you know, you might want to just get that step in. Excellent. Dr. Settler, what's kind of your approach, you know, you know as a primary care doc, uh, yes, as you were talking about, just getting people in the door is important. How do you kind of look at things as far as women and heart disease? If you see somebody with a risk factor that Dr. Davis may have said, what are kind of the tools that we can do from primary care to help minimize that risk or hopefully maybe help avoid having to refer uh, to Dr. Davis if something really goes bad. Sure. Well, one thing I see with patients every day is hypertension, high blood pressure. And, you know, some people, you know, say, oh, well, I didn't take my blood pressure medicine for a few days, but I felt okay. And that's an issue with blood pressure. You know, you feel fine generally unless it's extremely high or extremely low. Um, and so that's something I talk to my patients about, you know, knowing what your blood pressure is, taking your medication if it is high, um, to make sure that it's at a good level so you're not causing complications in the future. Excellent. And diabetes, I think yeah. I forgot mm -hmm. to mention that. Hi. That's very prevalent. And a lot of times you're fine until you're not fine. So it's a, a silent killer. It's something that you may not know about. That's why we have some early non-invasive testing that we can do. That's super easy. There is a, a quick heart scan that I always tell people there's no IVs. You don't take your clothes off. It takes like a minute. It's super easy. And it, it's a CT scan that looks to see the beginnings of heart disease that's too small to get picked up by a stress test. There are so many people that have had this that I've read it at like 7 o'clock at night, and I it, the score is just horrendous. And it just and I, Right, and I've called them, and I said, and they have no primary care physician. This is something that you could just order yourself. And I tell them, you don't know me, but I know you, and you don't have to see me, but I think you need to see a cardiologist. <laughs> don't be worried, but... 
I think you have blockages in the arteries of the heart and we need to, to look at that. About 20% of the time, the first symptom is no symptom. So that's why we really got to be proactive. Uh, on the side note, it is so true. Those things are so quick that the, the CT scan of the heart, I actually had mine done last week and literally I might have counted to 60 seconds. If, I mean, it if, was, that. if that. I mean, if it was that. so bad. And, and when it was cost effective too, it's $75. I was like, yep. I can invest $75 in my heart. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't even paid the regular price, which is 150 bucks at a lot of institutions as well too. But mm -hmm. these are some great things. You know, it's interesting. Is, is that really more so? Do you find that more so? You know, it's interesting. I think about myself. Um, don't have a lot of risk factors, but I was like, hey, I turned 40, I'm going to just go ahead and see what it is. But, but do you find that, Dr. Davis, more so in people that may have like kind of what we call kind of intermediate risk? Or do you still even say if somebody might have low risk and say, hey, you know what, why not? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a very quick and easy non-invasive test to kind of risk stratify based on all your other risk factors. And it can give peace of mind because, I mean, say your score is zero, we don't see anything. I mean, never say never, but the risk of having a cardiac event is really, really low. And a lot of times some people say, you know what, everybody in my family passes away when they're 50. And I'm like, how old are you? And they're like, 49 and a half. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. you know, you want to give people peace of mind. Yes, excellent. I know it's so funny for me when I got the peace of mind, other thing that you get on the... Uh, on the uh, heart scan is you can actually get the rest of your uh, chest cavity contents looked at so they can look at the lungs and, yeah. and some other structures and I go, all right, good, all right. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know, fortunately, yeah. unfortunately, we can diagnose lung cancer, breast cancer, uh, thyroid. Yeah. I mean, we're not technically looking for that, but if we see it, you know, we'll be able to get a jump on that too. And, and thankfully, it's not that common, but that would have been the only way yeah. that we would have visualized it. Well, it's interesting when you said, like, again, jumping, jumping on it, and that's really the theme, it's, as we're talking about the fact that uh, that people are dying for real, uh, and I believe the most recent CDC number, and the CDC's sometimes late in, in uh, publishing their data, but the most recent data I found was going back in 2013 on the number of women that died in this country, which was nearly 300,000 uh, uh, women that had died from heart disease in that year of different forms of heart disease, so it is real. And so, as you said, jump in the gun. If we yeah. see something, we can jump the gun. And I think that's where we all have kind of the same mindset yeah. as prevention, prevention, prevention. The sooner you get seen, the, if something is found, the sooner you're likely to have intervention and get back to hopefully enjoy and continue quality of life. So let me ask this question to Dr. Settler. You know, we talked a little bit about, I want to kind of switch the topic a little bit. Uh, Dr. Davis outlined the different risk factors. What's your take on exercise as it relates to heart disease? Do you kind of counsel counsel your patients and say, hey, I want you to do active? Do, do you kind of follow some of the guidelines that say, you know, you want to do about 150 minutes per week of moderate physical activity? Uh, what do you kind of, what's kind of your, your take on that? Um, I do. I do counsel patients on that every day, almost every patient, um, depending on, you know, what they're coming in uh, to talk about that day. But um, I think it's really important. So I tell patients, you know, 20 to 30 minutes a day on most days of the week. Um, because when you say the 150 minutes a week, you know, my initial thought is, I don't have time for that. How am I ever going to exercise that much? That's just not reasonable. And then a lot of patients, you know, may, or people just in general, um, look at that number and say, you know what, I'm not even going to try. That's just not um, something I can do. So I kind of talk to a patient and see, you know, where are they at? What kind of activity do they do currently? Um, you know, what can we do to increase that, to get to that goal? 
um, and you know also talking about kind of intensity of, of exercise you know if there's someone that does a lot of cardio um, you know adding in doing strength training um, which can help with just overall metabolic rate and, and many things in general so um, so I, I do talk about exercise I think it's really important that's wonderful I, I know one of the things I always talk about is I say you know I just want you to move um, however you want to do it you're gonna think about exercise you want to make it personal and so whatever you like doing if that's fun, if it's just going for a nice walk with your family, or if it's, you know, dancing, or whatever you got to do, but I just say, just do it. Make it personal. Yeah. What's your thoughts about exercise in relation to heart disease, Dr. Davis? Well, I tell people, don't let perfection be the enemy of great. You don't have to do a marathon. If you've done nothing, even walking around the block a few times is terrific. And then you reset goals and reset goals as you get fitter and you feel more comfortable doing it. And most people kind of grumble a little bit, but once they do it, they're like, oh, my God, I do feel better. And then, you know, your outlook is better. Um, they say, like, exercise is free dopamine and serotonin. It yeah. makes, makes you feel better, and you, when you feel better, this healthy mind and body, it's, it's a good thing. Right. Stress management, really helpful stress management. It's not just for your heart. It's for, for everything. Um, another thing I, do, I forgot to mention, you know, I tell patients 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes in the evening because sometimes it's hard to get that 20 to 30 minutes right at one time. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember Dr. Seller, you and I talked uh, a long time ago uh, when we were talking about, you know, being intentional. And I remember I shared, shared that information with you. I go, you know, I, I did all this stuff and I drew out this diagram for my, for my wife. And I was like, honey, you know, I, I only get like four hours a, a day on average to work on like everything else outside of like work and everything and I think I broke it down even more to some really ominous number which I was almost you know in tears over where I was like when I break it down into all these subcategories of my discretionary time I only have 40 minutes a day to work in my marriage mm -hmm. and, and I was like I remember I was having that talk and it's like yeah. oh my goodness but but I like how you say hey you know what yes we know we're working you have to commute to do all these kind of obligations but you're trying to carve out just a little bit here a little bit there and I'm of the mindset that every little bit every little bit counts What's your thoughts, Dr. Davis, on that kind of mindset, just saying, yeah. hey, just... Oh, it's all cumulative. You don't have to do it all at once. There's data that shows that if you do it a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the evening, it all counts. It's all good. Um, I, I think having it being a family affair is helpful, too. Even walking around with uh, your spouse or your significant other, having the kids involved, I, I think that all helps. Even planning meals together, even going back to cooking, which I would say, you know... We don't live in a perfect world where you can make a gourmet meal every night, but at least try a couple times a week. It all it all is good. I like how you said as you're as you're doing all those things together. I'm just gonna piggyback on some of those words that you have. They said as you're doing all that stuff together as a family as a unit, you're working on all those other important things at the same time. So you can be yeah. working on parenting at the same time, your yeah. marriage, uh, right. you know, health, all that stuff. And now you've got your time back yeah. because you've done it all there. You can so, multitask. Multitask in the house. I love it. But again, we only get those same 24 hours, but I love that idea. So people that are listening right now, you know, again, you can do it. You know, we know that people are busy doing a lot of things, but, but continue to invest in yourself and use those kind of examples that are out there. Uh, but, but, but again, it really starts with that mindset. And I was a big, big believer of that mindset. You know, be intentional. I also a big believer in positive mental attitude and gratitude. That's another saying. Yeah, that's a big thing. Uh, it's not the material things. It's appreciating experiences and family and your marriage and your friends and travel and all these things that you can't buy, you know. Um, and 
if you are truly happy and have a positive attitude, you'll do better, say, in your operation. You'll do better health-wise. Everything will uh, improve. Excellent. So I want to change the topic a little bit. So coming up next month, uh, I really want everybody just to take this at heart. February is American Heart Month and National Wear Red Days on February 1st. So I want everybody out there that's listening, wear red on February 1st. And the, really the initiative is for the initiative entitled Go Red for Women. So as you're supporting here, we're talking about heart disease. I want everybody to wear red on February 1st. Show up at work. Post it on social media. I'm going to be wearing red on, on February 1st. I don't have anything red, but i got to go buy something. Mm -hmm. uh, that's true. Uh, but, but, but wear something red. Show that we're in this together, and let's try to knock down heart disease as much as possible. But if you want more information on that, check out the American Heart Association. Again, their campaign's entitled Go Red for Women. Kicks off February 1st, 2019 with Wearing Red. Um, but I want to ask this. I want to ask this question. So as we're talking about this awareness and engagement, I want to ask the question, Dr. Settler, what can we do better as practitioners, as physicians, to help move the needle? Because we're talking earlier about like we want people to come in and see us, but what can we do as docs to hopefully help move this needle for reducing heart disease burden in women? Do we need to do something better? Do we need to just, just rally up the docs and get out there on the streets? I mean, what do we got to do to help out? We got to meet somewhere in the middle. Yeah, that's a great, uh, great Maybe that's point. what we should do. It's cold out here in Chicago land. Yeah. Um, you know, I think just having the conversation is the first, uh, first step. And um, I don't know if anyone has, you know, a great um, answer for that question, but it's definitely a good one. Um, I think as a clinician, you know, in my practice when I'm seeing patients, um, you know, I try to kind of cover um, most of, you know, what the risk factors would be. We're talking about exercise, we're talking about, um, you know, doing the blood work, but it's not just let's get your fasting labs and see what those show. Um, you know, it's, it, there's so many different things to look at. So I think, you know, coming in for your physical um, and focusing on preventative medicine, preventative things that you can do for your health. Um, and that's, uh, I think, a big first step as far as what, you know, what clinicians can do um, as a whole, um, I think, bringing awareness, um, you know, in a forum such as this and, and others. I'm a big fan of, of, of again, that community approach, and I think, like, even us as clinicians here, as docs, you know, finding like-minded people, you know, certainly we're all like-minded here, but who else is out there in the community, whether it's your, your public health department, uh, whether it's other social media groups that are about uh, heart disease awareness. You know, we want to we want to have those like minds join together because I do truly believe that there's power in numbers. And the more we talk about this kind of stuff, the more we can actually make a difference. Let me ask Dr. Davis her thought on what you know. You're you're a cardiologist. You're a clinician. You're seeing things. You you you've, you know. We see things that we can do. We can all improve on a daily basis ourselves. I always got to say. I always tell my wife. I go. We got to work. I got to work on myself. But 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 we got to do that too. So what's your thoughts on how we can get? us as docs, as practitioners, to do a better job of addressing heart disease and not maybe let it slide. You know, for example, I'll give you a quick example. You know, say somebody comes to your office and their blood pressure just a little bit up, and uh, but you let it pass, and, you know, or, or, she, or she might let it pass, or you don't really address that much, and then somebody might, might get lost to follow up. Well, a lot of times if they say, oh, I'm just nervous at the doctor, I'll say, okay, get a blood pressure monitor at home and check it at home. And then you tell me. So, I mean, you got to keep asking and asking. And if it turns out that, yep, all the blood pressures at home are up too, and yep, it's up here, you know, 
I know no one wants to be on medicine, but you kind of have to spin it to like half empty, half full. You have control to decrease your risk of heart attack and stroke and have independence. Because if you have a stroke, some people say, oh, I'll just die. No, no. you'll be lucky you, if you do that. You can be left with the inability to speak or move. You'll lose your independence. You'll, you'll be in a position where someone will have to move your limbs and all other sorts of things that you have to do for your activities of daily living. It's a disaster. You know, and obviously, you know, there's rehab and things like that, but why in the world would you want to go there? So if there's anything that we can do to prevent and have people say, I'm doing this in a positive way. I'm controlling things. It's not controlling me. Mm -hmm. I have the opportunity to take this medicine that we didn't have before. Yeah, that's, you're, you're speaking the truth on that one. You know, one of the things that I get myself into is, is certainly you may, certainly we see a lot of that resistance to want to start something, mm -hmm. whether it's a blood pressure medicine or a cholesterol medicine. Uh, and you're right, sometimes you do have to really kind of truly convince someone that this is for their benefit. Yeah. And the old saying of sometimes you got to save someone from themselves. I'm not trying to say that like with ego or anything. We're saying this because we care and we want all our patients to do well. And, and I don't want you to go home and maybe not start something and something catastrophic happens as you right. laid out. Right. I mean, that's a tough story. We've, seen, we've all seen those scenarios. Yeah. So let me ask Dr. Seller this one. I'm going to pick your brain from a different angle. So, you know, a lot of people have corporate wellness plans. You know, people sometimes come into you and they'll show you their, their, their labs that their employer does. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think, like, the role of, just pick your brain, but why not? That's what we're here for. But, but, but you know, employers have an invest, they're, they're investing in their employees. They need their employees to work. And so, I guess you're seeing the rise in employ, uh, employer wellness programs to get their employees to take these labs, get cholesterol screen, get a blood glucose test, things like that. Um, clearly, they're a stakeholder in this all as well, too. Is there something, you know, from a, from a physician's standpoint, is there something that you think that the employers should be doing better to get this message out there about heart disease? I think there is. There probably is. <laughs> you know, when they have patients come in do, to do these screenings, um, they do just a little finger prick usually, and they are able to run a lot of numbers, actually, that can be quite useful. They'll do the cholesterol. Um, you know, sometimes they'll even do things like blood counts and thyroid um, and a bunch of other tests that can be, you know, really helpful. Um, and so that obviously, you know, blood sugar is on there. I've had several patients, you know, new diagnosis of diabetes um, just from doing a screening at work. Um, I've had patients come in, you know, they said, oh, you know, the blood pressure was high at the work screening. Um, that was about a year ago. Um, you know, I saw the dentist one time, blood pressure was a little bit high there too. Um, and then we're seeing them, a th you know, a third instance that the blood pressure is high. And that's really an indicator, you know, I think there's something going on. I think we need to look into this further. Yeah, I got you 100% on that one. And, and one of the things that I think about, which is really a, a challenge is, is, yes, I, I mean, for, for the employers that are out there, great. Thank you for giving us something that that, that, that maybe the employee may not want to have to pay for it because it's usually paid for free by the employee by the employer itself. But I want to say I want to say, hey, if somebody's offering you that test, get it done because it's going to allow us hopefully to go from there and, and make a difference. Oh, knowledge is power for sure. If it's human nature to not think about it and hopefully that it'll go away if I don't think about it or know about it. But you know what? You just got to bite the bullet. Get on the damn scale. Just figure it out. Get your blood test. Let's figure out where we are, and then we know where to go. Because, I mean, so many times you could be totally without symptoms, and then something happens. 
Well, I want to take a break for a second. We're, again, we're here on Intellectual Radio. This is just great conversation uh, talking about heart disease in women. Uh, I want to ask a few more questions before we kind of go into our myths versus facts section. So talking about blood pressure, I want to just kind of pick the brain because I think sometimes clinicians have different, different answers. You know, recently uh, the guidelines change. Guidelines now suggest, uh, say that blood pressure control should be under, uh, at the upper limit, the diagnosis of hypertension now is at 130 over 80 millimeters of mercury, down from previous recommendation 140 over 90. Um, how do we kind of approach that? I'll ask that question to Dr. Davis. You know, sometimes guidelines come out, and it takes a while to just get disseminated around the medical community. Uh, but yet, we don't want to miss that opportunity of somebody who might have some consistent blood pressures, maybe in the 130s or mid-80s, and we don't treat that person. Now the guidelines are saying we need to be a little more aggressive. How do we kind of, how do we kind of apply that to people? I almost think that if the guidelines are lower, it almost makes it easier to get to where the old guidelines used to be. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like if, if the old guideline was you want to be less than 140, and you're kind of cruising at the one, 150s, now if we make the guidelines down to 130, we'll get you into a little bit higher than that, and maybe we'll get you even closer. But the whole, the whole point is we don't want you to have unchecked hypertension. And I, I think the, the more you check and the stricter you are a little bit, um, the better. Now, not everything has to be medicine. We always tell people there's diet, like uh, the DASH diet and watching sodium. And uh, again, to be earthy crunchy, meditation has evidence-based medicine that will decrease your blood pressure and heart rate, things like that. Um, it's not all medicine, stress reduction, but good luck with that. You know, yeah. do, the, do the best you can. Is there a number, Dr. Just let me ask you one more question on this one. Is there like a, a number of times per day you typically ask people to check, you know, let's check their blood pressure? Because it's funny, you know, we've all been in those scenarios where somebody right. might start checking and then perpetually gets higher and higher, and they right. keep checking and checking, and it right. gets higher and higher. Is there like a threshold that you kind of say, and this, we're just trying to be practical, like, right. hey, how often should people typically check their blood pressure? Right, and, and I tell them don't take it after you exercise because it's normal that your blood pressure will be elevated after that. Maybe take it in the morning when you wake up and sit down. Um, you know, I, I don't want it to become a science fair project yeah. where they're, they're continuing to, to take their blood pressure and then it tur they turn themselves into a, a heart patient. I want them to live your life and be happy and not think about us. But, um, you know, if, if you're kind of in that... Uh, tweener stage where you're titrating the medication, you probably can take it a little bit more, maybe a couple times a day. And then when it, once it gets to be a little bit more stable and, and normal, you can cut back a little bit. Do you have anything strict that you do, Dr. Settler, as far as blood pressure checking, especially for our female patients that are out there? You know, I agree. When we're titrating medications or starting a new medication, I tell patients at least once a day, twice a day would be great. Um, you know, after that, if blood pressure has been doing well, they've had several checks, blood pressure is, you know, is at goal. Um, you know, I tell them a couple times a week. Excellent. So what's the, let me ask you another question here, Dr. Silly, come right back at you. What's the role of nutrition when you think about for people that are out there and saying, oh my gosh, i got to follow a heart diet. Are there any resources that you give them? Or is there any specific kind of nutritional guidelines? I know very general, but are there any guidelines out there mm -hmm. that you try to get people yeah, to follow? Know, there is a great website. It's called choosemyplate.gov. Um, and it has a lot of resources, a lot of information, a lot of different things to read about. Um, and I also tell patients, um, you know, as far as DASH diet, low sodium, um, but, you know, also to talk about um, weight and obesity and BMI is another aspect that is related that we didn't really touch on yet. Um, so, you know, getting your weight, your height, figuring out what your BMI is, you know, 25 to 29, um, being overweight, 30 and above, um, obese, 
Um, so that's something to look at as well. Um, and as far as you're just looking at weight loss, not looking at um, you know strictly treatment for hypertension, um, you know any diet has been found to be helpful um, as far as for losing weight. It doesn't have to be the Mediterranean. Doesn't have to be you know low carb, low fat. Um, really, you know, decreasing calories and and you know talking with your doctor about what makes the most sense. You know, if you do have a risk factor that a lot of people in your in your family have diabetes, your blood sugar is a little bit on the higher end in the 90s. Say, you know, that low carb diet might be a good idea for you. Excellent. Um, you know, you're really talking about really uh, uh, having a foundation, a foundation of consistency, and you're kind of and I'm not trying to put words in it, but you're really talking about how hey. You know, if you don't have like a good foundation, then it's then it's going to be kind of hard to have success. And we want everybody to have success, but those are some great options that are actually very easy for people to do. Right. And sometimes you think like nutrition is like it's got to be super hard. Oh my gosh, I don't think I can eat this way, or I'm going to be getting a gigantic grocery bill. But there are some simple ways you can do right. it. Right, and it shouldn't be like a trick. Like let's do this fancy diet here, or this, or that, or something that you do for a few weeks and then you're on to the next one. Consistency probably is the best thing. It takes five or six weeks to make a habit. I, I think that's the main thing that we're looking for. If you eat right the majority of the time, when it's your kid's second birthday party, have the piece of cake yeah. for God's sake. Yeah. But you know, you know. But if the majority of the time you're eating right and you're exercising and you're out and about um, and active, that that's the main thing. But um, any diet that says no carbohydrate or no fat or no this or no that probably isn't sustainable but you're looking for more of a uh, a sustainable moderation say the fats try the healthy fats the olive oil the nuts and seeds the dark chocolate is, is such like that or just trying to avoid the white sugar and the white flour maybe the complex carbohydrates the whole wheat or things like that or tweaking things here and there you know. Yeah, I read an interesting study recently talking about if you're just with the mindset of trying to increase your servings of fruits and vegetables for the day, um, that you tend to lose weight. Um, and so that's a really easy change, and they mm -hmm. find that it's it's due to substitution. So instead of getting the chips, you're saying, oh, you know, I could have a piece of fruit now, I could have some celery, I could have some carrots to snack on, and that's going to get me to my goal of, of increasing the fruits and vegetables for the day. And so, you know, there's some good data, certainly, obviously, when you go on more of that more whole plant-based mm -hmm. Uh, approach. It's interesting, you know, Dr. Davis, we can, we can, or even Dr. Sutton, we can all remember the days when you see a, a person in the hospital that had a heart attack or has a stroke or whatever, and, you know, the day after they had their procedure done or open heart surgery, we're feeding them bacon and eggs and pancakes for their breakfast the next morning. And, and I go, you know, it's kind of funny, we can laugh about it kind of now and chuckle a little bit because, but that's what we did. And it seems mind-boggling that we would give somebody the same things that may have caused their disease in the first place. What's your thoughts on that kind of thing? I mean, we, I, I, I think I haven't, you know, you're in the hospital yeah. a lot more than Dr. Settler and I are because we gave up the, we stopped doing the hospital rounds a few years ago, but is that like still an option out there? I hope not. Well, um, they have a cardiac diet and the nutrition program is, is just great. They have delicious food, they have a wide variety, and you could actually, uh, you or your family member, order food anytime you want. There's not a nine o'clock breakfast, one o'clock lunch, five o'clock dinner. It used, and you, to, be like it, it used <laughs> to be that, right? regimen. So you could basically order it as it's as you need it. And there are uh, cardiac rehab nurses, and there are such good dietitians that help to kind because of, otherwise you can overwhelm people with, oh my gosh, I have so much, and you kind of got to break it down to it's okay, you're going to be okay. Little changes make big changes. 
um, we'll start here, but we got to get a plan. That, that old saying, um, uh, fail to plan and plan to fail. So chance favors the prepared mind. My dad always says that. So if, if you got a good game plan, you'll get to your goal. Excellent. Uh, let me ask you this question, uh, Dr. Davis. We, we certainly see, and come right back at you with this, but we certainly see various forms of heart disease, and I think it's important to kind of clarify some of the things that are out there. You know, we're talking about a lot of heart attack, and that's probably the biggest one that everybody talks about a lot. But we don't have that much of a conversation about women and heart failure. We don't really talk much about women with rhythm disorders. We don't talk about women in peripheral arterial disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't talk about uh, women and stroke a lot. And so, yeah. what? We, we got to do better. Like, uh, I know you're seeing those cases. You, know, yeah. you see them a lot more than certainly Dr. Settler and I. How do we kind of continue to get the mindset to say it's not just about heart attack? For women, how do we talk about these other kind of topics that are important? A lot of times it's just asking the right questions or taking the time to sit down and say, well, what what do you do in a typical day? And if you're noticing that you, you can only walk to the corner as opposed to walk a mile when you used to do that, or different symptoms that sometimes women have that are not typical, uh, you might want to go into that. Are you having swelling in your ankles? Oh, I'm just getting old. Whoa, whoa, wait How long has this been going on? Or, or are, are you short of breath? Oh, it's just the cold. You know, kind of delving deeper into that. And then actually doing the test. You know, I know we're not supposed to talk about that, but there are several tests that you could do to see if the heart function is okay, if there's peripheral vascular disease, meaning blockages in the carotid artery, the neck artery, uh, blockages in the legs, if you have an aneurysm in the aorta, the big pipe that's going down your abdomen, um, risk factors for stroke, things like that, um, rhythm issues. Do you have a palpitation? Oh, wait a minute. How, how often do you have that? Oh, it's a fluttering in my chest. It happens like all the time. Like, well, wait, 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 wait. Has anyone ever checked a monitor? You just got to talk to people. We got to get comfortable talking about it, too. I mean, we want people when they come in to see us, we want them to... To just it's very vulnerable. It's a vulnerable experience when you go to the doc because you're telling the doc a lot of things that you may not want to tell, or they might not even tell your spouse. And we want people to have that comfort level to be able to talk about this because that's so important. And as we're talking today about moving the needle for women in heart disease, we have to be more comfortable having these conversations. So what I want to do right now, I want to uh, introduce you guys to my myths versus facts section. The people that have been following us for all these shows so far know what it's all about, but those of you that are new, what I like to do is I like to state, make a statement, and I'll say to my say the statement to my panelists, and they will either say myth or fact. It'll be kind of rapid fire, you know, they might give us a few sentences on why it's a myth or a fact, but it's important. We're talking about out here, we're really talking about building trust and delivering truth. And so really, we want to break down any kind of misnomers out there, any kind of blatant misinformation and, and, and false information, because navigating your health can be quite challenging, so that's why I love this myths versus facts session. So here we go. Ideal cardiovascular health in women, myths versus facts. I'm going to say a statement. Again, I'm going to pick on Dr. David first because she's sitting right next to me. Sorry. It is what it is. But uh, myth or facts. So here's a statement. Heart disease is a man's disease. Myth or fact? That is objectively false. <laughs> that, is, that could not be more untrue. The number one, as you eloquently said before, the number one cause of death and is, is cardiovascular, both men and women. Excellent. Uh, again, this is why we're trying to break down these barriers, because there's still that mindset, and, it's, and we have to have, be comfortable having these conversations. Thank you. Here we go. Dr. Seller, myth or fact. Here we go. 
eat, I'm going to say the statement, and hopefully, I'm, hopefully I know what, what, I, what I even wrote, but here we go. Here's the statement. I'm getting older, so symptoms like fatigue and shortness of breath are normal. Myth. Myth. <laughs> Please tell us why. Correct. Right. So it's not just that you're getting older and you're having symptoms. That's, that's not true. There's an underlying process going on in your body that's causing those symptoms. Um, so it's important to find out, you know, whether that's through, um, you know, stress test, x-ray. There's so many different things that are um, non-invasive and um, not a difficult procedure to go through, but it's so important to, to do so. Again, there's no such thing as crying wolf. I'd rather, again, reassure you than not. You know, this yep. is why we have medical Absolutely not. I can give you an exact example. Give it to us. There is a gentleman who was in their 50s, young, trim, healthy, normal, perfect, perfect, said that they woke up just feeling a little funny. Their back hurt, their chest hurt a little bit, like they sort of didn't sleep well and decided, I don't know, maybe I should just go get it checked out. This gentleman had an aortic dissection, which means the wall of the aorta ripped from their neck all the way down to their pelvis. This is a life-threatening situation that he went to emergency cardiovascular surgery, and we were all in shock, like, his blood pressure was normal. You'd think he'd be in shock and just end stage, but no, he just felt, yeah, I just feel a little funny, but it's like my chest and back hurts. It's just a little weird. Well, there's no doubt that saved his life. I got some, a little voice in my head that's telling me right. to go. Right. If he would have just rolled over and went back to bed. Oh, bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah, that's why we take it again. Take your health seriously. Invest your own. If something feels off, give your doc a call. That's the Or, or if something really feels off, Go to the ER. There's right. no doubt about that. If it's an emergency, you got to go. All right, Dr. Davis, here we go. Myth versus fact. All right. Heart disease in women only happens to older individuals. Older women only. That is <laughs> wrong. <laughs> that is wrong. Uh, there could be uh, younger women that have heart disease, depending on their family history. Uh, there's actually something called uh, Takasubo, which is actually, it translates... Uh, from the Japanese, uh, the doctor who discovered the syndrome was from Japan, and he thought that the heart on imaging looked like a Japanese octopus catcher. So that was called takasubo. Basically what that means is it's a stress-induced heart failure, meaning your arteries are perfectly normal and beautiful, but your heart muscles fail. And it could be an acute stress of, you know, God forbid you hear that your spouse dies or something like that, but an acute stressor. And you know what? We only used to see this, for example, on like boards exams, but now it's so common. Unfortunately, we, we see it quite regularly through the emergency room in younger people even. So well, thank you for dispelling that myth. I mean, it wasn't an issue. I think we're, getting, we're kind of classically trained that, oh, well, I get older and things happen. Yeah. But you're saying absolutely things can happen at a young age. Uh, out of curiosity, what's like the, you know, I, I can think of like for, for, for a man, the youngest heart attack I saw was a man who was 37 uh, a number of years ago. But Dr. Davis, have you seen like, what's like the youngest age you have seen it for like a heart attack in a woman? Have you seen it in younger women? You know what? Um, one time when... Uh, there was a patient that had some uh, genetic predisposition to heart disease. Uh, she was about 29, and that was very unusual, but she had a genetic high cholesterol. Her total cholesterol was about 350, something like that. 
the LDL, the bad one, was well over 200. She also had a, uh, a genetic marker called lipoprotein little a, which is a quick blood test that you can get. And uh, we, yeah. she was very young, but, but did well. Oh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, we can all think of those examples. That's, that's a super young age. Yeah. But again, it doesn't discriminate. Heart disease does not discriminate. It doesn't discriminate on age. It doesn't discriminate on sex. It doesn't discriminate even on race. I mean, that's the reality of it. So this is why we've got to talk about it. Next statement. Here we go. Myths versus facts. Ideal cardiovascular health. We'll do a couple more of these. Dr. Settler, here we go. Here's a statement. Heart disease runs in my family, so there's nothing I can do to prevent it. The defeatist attitude. Myth. Um, we talked about so many of the different risk factors, and in the medical community, we call a lot of those modifiable risk factors. And what that means is there is something you can do about it. So lifestyle is so important. We talked about exercise being really important. Um, diet is a factor of that. And a lot of things for just general stress reduction, so getting enough sleep. Um, you know, a lot of people think that, oh, I can get five, six hours of sleep a night. I do fine. Um, and really, over time, the sleep deficit builds and builds, and it's really not enough sleep. Um, and so a goal of seven to eight hours is, is something that is, um, you know, a very important thing. And um, so a lot of different things that people can do um, to hopefully, you know, stop that from continuing in the family. Excellent. Here we go. Dr. Davis, myth versus facts. Here we go. All right. Uh, once heart disease is confirmed in women, early treatment is essential to preventing in-organ damage, which is often irreversible. I think there's never a time that you can't help make things better. So just because you have something doesn't mean, oh, you're done, we can't do anything for you. Say even you do have a heart attack and we treat you. We can put a stent in, we can treat your blood pressure, we can get you on an aspirin, a cholesterol medicine, an antiplatelet medicine, treat your diabetes, and we can get you good for the, for the duration. So, we, yes, you may have had something, but there's no reason why that's the end of the end. We could keep you going to, till you're 100. Mm, I love it. We won't leave any tricks in our bag of tricks left. <laughs> All right, I'm going to leave to do the last myths versus facts with Dr. Settler. Here we go, putting you on the spot. I've had a lot of myths, but that was kind of a fact, the last one with Dr. Davis saying, like, you've got to do it. Just, you just get the treatment. Uh, but here we go. Here's the statement. Myth or fact? Here's the statement. Eat healthy, stay active, be smoke-free, and limit alcohol use to lower your chance for heart disease. Yes. All right. I agree. I want to throw it like this one. Fact, I wasn't going to give you guys all myths, today, <laughs> but, but that's fact, fact, fact. Uh, please explain. Um, so I agree with all of those things. So all of those are things that you can do for your health to help take care of yourself. And, you know, as women, I think we do a good job going to the gynecologist, you know, when we're having our babies and getting checked and seeing the OB. And, you know, after the kids are a little bit older and, and you haven't needed to see the gynecologist for a few years, I think sometimes for women that's where we kind of fall off the bandwagon as far as getting our own, our own care. Um, and another thing we didn't touch on, um, you know, during the show earlier that I think is important is, you know, it's important about, you know, what um, was your health during pregnancy? Um, did you have high blood pressure during pregnancy? Um, did you have high blood sugar during pregnancy? Pregnancy almost acts like a stress test, if you will, on your body. Um, and so if you had those issues or even borderline high, say sugar, you know, you didn't need to take insulin during your pregnancy, but your sugar was a little bit high, that's definitely something that should be checked, um, you know, every one to two years, um, you know, even after, you know, for the duration, I would say, after your pregnancy. Um, blood pressure, if that was high during pregnancy, that's something very important to check in on every year. 
um, you know, at your annual physical. Excellent. Well, we've got about five minutes left, guys, and this has been a, just a great show, and I hope everybody out there has been enjoying hearing some of the words and certainly the passion from my guests as we talk about some of these important themes. But again, at the end of the day, everybody here wants to help move the needle, you know, so we want to help women out there. I know this is part of my Women's Health series, but we want to make sure that women are engaged in their health and their well-being and having this conversation to continue after today is, is paramount. So what I want to do, we've got five minutes left. Uh, we mentioned at the beginning of the show, we called it the chief complaint. What does ideal cardiovascular health look like? And we've been talking about it. So at the end of the chief complaint, when somebody comes into the office, when we're done, our exam, we call that the assessment and plan. So we're going to bring this on home to you guys. And so really the assessment and plan is about like, what are some take-home points, you know, uh, that we can do out there. So I'm going to ask a question to Dr. Davis first. Dr. Davis, why don't you give us a few take-home points for, for women to be successful when it comes to heart disease? What are kind of your, your, your take-home points on this topic? I think just planning in your day when you're going to be able to exercise. Um, I know it's hard, but trying to find some snacks that you could take with you at work, figuring out a game plan regarding your diet, keeping it healthy and balanced, getting the whole family involved maybe exercising with the kids, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be one size fits all for everybody. Again, knowing your numbers and going to the doctor and, and, and just checking in with them. Excellent. Dr. Settler, bring us on home. A couple of take-home points for women out there that have been listening or husbands that have been listening for their wives and want to know more about their wives, but, but just take-home points for women to be successful in heart disease. Sure. So we talked about it so many times during this episode, and I'll just bring it up, you know, one more time. Hey, you got to do it. Repetition. As, um, you know, see your doctor for your annual physical and um, and self care. Um, self care being just so important, and it can be hard to find time. You know, women are taking care of their parents, they're taking care of their children. So finding time to take care of themselves, um, it can be hard to do, but just so important. Excellent. And kind of my final words are this, my final thoughts. You know, each day is an opportunity to experience life. Each day is an opportunity to learn. Each day is an opportunity to continue to invest in yourself. And as we're talking about lowering disease burden, I want people to take away that, listen, you can do it. You're not at it alone. You know, find your friends, people that you trust. Talk to your doctor. Uh, find somebody. Join something in a, a, a Facebook group talking about heart disease. But again, we want to move these needles. We want to get people to live healthy and active and engaging and prosperous and fulfilling lives. And we can't do that if we're sitting on the sidelines. So my rally call to you all is to just, just go talk to your doc, find somebody, but somebody that's going to help you, that's going to be passionate and care for you and encourage you at the end of the day. And I think that's the way to help move this needle. And also, do not let this conversation end today. We want you guys to continue this conversation because there's so much more work for, to do. But if we do the work, we will make things a lot better. So again, I want to thank my guests today. Dr. Laura Settler, my partner in crime at the office. Check her out, www.eehealth.org. And of course, my dear friend, Dr. Ann Davis, cardiologist, advocate medical group, Advocate Heart Institute. Check her out, www.advocatehealth.com. Also in my office on Tuesdays. But again, I want to thank you guys for coming out today and being part of the show. I tell you what, this has been great, great stuff. I'm so happy to have had this time to talk with everybody about this. You've been listening and watching live on Facebook and intellectualradio.com. This episode is written by myself, Mark D. Gomez, and my wife, my beautiful wife, Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Producer is Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Music is by the wonderful Mr. Havis. Got to give a shout out to my brother-in-law. Stay tuned for next week's episode, Women's Health Series Part 4. We're going to bring it on home. 
living your best life. Hey, everybody. You know where to find me, www.drmarkgomez.com. Peace out. <laughs>